0: Welcome to Basic Brewing Radio for Thursday, January 26, 2006. I'm James Spencer. Here at Basic Brewing Radio, we're all about home brewing, making beer at home. Well, this week, we make bad tasting beer on purpose. A group of my fellow brewers recently joined me to uh, try out the Flavor Active Enthusiast Beer Taste Troubleshooting Kit. We'll listen to the first half of our bad tasting adventure in just a couple of minutes. First, let's go to the mailbag, though. George in Erie, Colorado, has a seasonal question. George says, as I get ready to brew my first batch, I have a concern about keeping my glass carboy fermenter warm enough. We let the house get pretty cool here in the evenings. 53 degrees is what we turn the thermostat down to. So I have a concern that the fermenting brew would be too cold. My first thought was that I would take care of this with an electric blanket... But a few Google searches show me that the preferred methods are either a pad under the carboy or a belt around the carboy. Belts seem a bit cheaper than pads. About half, actually, George says. Anyway, I bet you can imagine my questions regarding this. Which is better? So, uh, George, I don't know. (laughs) Here in Arkansas, I've never uh, really had a problem in keeping my beer warm. So I'll open it up to the listeners. Uh, Do you out there have advice for George? What's your experience with belts or pads in keeping fermenters warm? I guess George could uh, do lagers in the wintertime, but if he wants to do an ale and uh, needs to keep his beer warm while it's fermenting, uh, what should he do? We can glean some information from a couple of past emails for hints on what others have used to solve the same problem. Ben from Estacada, Oregon, wrote recently and said, I've read from various sources that temperature control is one of the most important things that you can do to improve your homebrew. I recently ordered a carboy heater. It's a sheet that you wrap around your carboy and plug in, kind of like a waterbed heater. Uh, because Ben says, it's actually too cold here in Oregon right now to brew ales. And he said he, at that point he was still waiting for the, the carboy heater to arrive. So uh, we don't know how it worked out, but uh, Ben went on to suggest a show on temperature control. So there is more interest there in doing a show on keeping beer cold and warm uh, while it's uh, fermenting. Jay from Salem, Oregon, writes with an innovative solution that he's found. Jay says there are many discussions about dealing with fermentation and storage temperature, and I've not heard anyone who suggested my solution... Jay says uh, he got an old refrigerator free from his in-laws, lucky guy, and got a thermostat from my homebrew shop. It basically goes between the refrigerator and the plug and turns it off and on depending on where I set the gauge. If I'm doing an ale and need a warmer temperature than ambient temperatures, I put a 15-watt light bulb in the fridge and put a tin foil cover over it. With this, I can get any temperature that I want. I also use this fridge for storing my beers that I'm aging when it's not in use for the brewing process. So, there's another solution. Uh, Jay in Salem, Oregon, um, is uh, using a light bulb in his refrigerator to get the warmer temperatures. So, I'm going to ask those who are in colder areas, what do you do? What do you use to keep your fermenters warm during the winter time? You can uh, send your solutions to james at basicbrewing.com, or use the contact form on basicbrewing.com. And please, don't forget to tell us where you're from. One more quick email, because we've got a long show this week. Matt from State College, Pennsylvania, wrote to get advice on making a vanilla stout. He wanted to know whether to use vanilla extract or vanilla beans and when to add the flavoring. Well, I remembered tasting a vanilla porter... From Dry Dock Brewing Company in Aurora, Colorado, when I was at the Great American Beer Festival, that, uh, that porter was excellent. So I wrote uh, Kevin DeLang, the brewer at Dry Dock, for some advice. And uh, Kevin says, I tell home brewers to use whole vanilla beans. You can use about four or five for five gallons. Kevin says to uh, split down the center and then chop them up and soak them in just enough rum to cover them soak them in the rum during primary, and then add the chopped up beans and rum to the secondary. And he says it turns out nice. So, very good. If, if Kevin says that's the way to do it, then I'm, I'm sure that's a good way to do it. Kevin is also the owner of The Brew Hut, a homebrew shop in Aurora, Colorado. and You can find out more about his shop at thebrewhut.com. And we thank Kevin for his help. This week is a milestone of sorts. This week marks the first time that uh, I've produced a Basic Brewing video podcast that is completely different from the audio version. Uh, In this week's video podcast, uh, I rack the six-pack IPA into the secondary fermenter and add whole hops for dry hopping. You can go to basicbrewingradio.com to view the video, or you can subscribe to the video podcast uh, through iTunes or any other podcast aggregator, and uh, we're working on a page to be a home to the video podcast on the site, so we can archive uh, past episodes there. Now, before we go on, I want to thank everyone who's sending in feedback on the All Grain DVD. From what I've read, it looks like we did a pretty good job overall, and uh, I appreciate the suggestions for how we can tweak the video to make it uh, a little more clear. You still have time to get in on the pre-release version of our DVD for the low low price of $10 by going to basicbrewing.com/grain. That's basicbrewing.com/grain. Well now on to the meat of the subject. Three fellow brewers and I got together recently to taste some bad beer. We tried out a kit that consists of powders that you add to beer to simulate off flavors from the brewing process. It was sometimes nasty, to tell you the truth, <laughs> but very educational. Okay, usually as brewers, we get together to taste good beer, what we hope to be good beer. But tonight we are here for the purpose of tasting bad flavors in beer. And I, I appreciate you gentlemen coming to help out in this regard and educating us and our, and our listeners. And uh, joining us are, are Andy Sparks.
1: I'm Andy Sparks. I uh, own the home brewery in Fayetteville, Arkansas, uh, and I've been on a few of the podcasts with James, uh, and I look forward to uh, doing this test. I've, I've wanted to do this for a long time, so I look forward to doing it.
0: And another regular here on the podcast is Steve
2: Wilkes. James, thanks for having me back again. Um, I am a home brewer, fellow home brewer with James, a loyal customer of Andy's, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm really tickled to be part of this as well. This will be really interesting to do, so... Thanks.
0: And Chris Milam has been heard on the podcast. If you've listened to all the podcasts, he's in one of the early ones. And Chris, tell us what you do.
3: Well, I'm a CPA-turned-professional brewer. I'm the professional brewer down at the Hoghouse Brewing Company in Fayetteville, Arkansas.
0: And tell us, give us a bit about your your educational background in brewing.
3: Uh, My educational background in brewing involves uh, studying at the University of California, Davis, and also with the American Brewers Guild, which is in Middlebury, Vermont.
0: So you you know a little bit more about beer than we do, I, I hope.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we're here uh, to try out the uh, the flavor active enthusiast beer taste troubleshooting kit. And we've got to thank the American Homebrewers Association for uh, helping us out and supplying us with the kit. Uh, and if you, I'll put a link on our website on BasicBrewingRadio.com to the American Homebrewers website. Our American Homebrewers Association website so you can if you're interested in the kit after you hear uh, us go through it uh, you can you can know where to get one uh, and basically it has eight different off flavors that you can taste in a homebrewed beer uh, and these are represented in. there are three samples of each flavor that you mix in beer That uh, and you're supposed to choose a beer that that doesn't have much flavor. Is that right, Chris?
3: That's correct. Today I think we chose the Coors Banquet. Uh, (laughs) Not much flavor in Coors, so it's it's a good beer in order to taste off flavors.
0: And, you know, it is is kind of a, you know, you've got to hand it to Coors that were confident enough in their brewing skills that we think there's not going to be any off flavors.
3: Correct, correct. I mean, if you want a, a scientifically made, very qual- you know, high quality assurance beer than than Coors or any of your large uh, large breweries would be the same.
0: So we're looking for a subtle flavor in a beer. Yes,
3: <laughs> that subtle
2: post-war flavor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so what we're going to do the the procedure the the procedure with the the test and the reason you get three samples is that you you are supposed to mix the samples in. Individually, in 12 ounces of beer, taste them. Read about the flavors. Read about what you're tasting. The second round, you're supposed to do kind of a blind test to see if you remember what you've tasted. So you would uh, mix in the, the flavor the second time, blind taste it, s- score yourself, or, or somebody would score you. And then the third round, you would have you would mix the flavors in 24 ounces of beer so that you would. Would be diluting the flavor and really testing yourself. But tonight, what we're going to do is just go through one round uh, because obviously we're not going to have time on the on the podcast to go through all three. We may go through all three uh, later.
1: Uh, Well, I sure hope so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Andy's Andy's wanted to go through the test. He's been he's been chomping at the bit. Um, So Chris, Chris, you've done other uh, more elaborate taste test is that right
3: correct correct yes uh through my schooling we've, we've actually done a, a series of i don't know about 33 to 35 different flavor tastings and uh, just about every one of them is not too pleasant <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh joy i can't wait yeah. for this <laughs> hopefully this is the only time i taste some of these flavors <laughs> yeah.
0: of course andy being a, being a homebrew shop owner uh, you told me one time that there's only one reason that people generally bring you beer
1: right yeah, it's it's unfortunate that uh, you know somebody walks through the front door with a couple of their homebrews. it's not because they're proud of it it's because they want to know what they did wrong so <laughs> i get to try a lot of a pretty bad beer but uh, everybody's got it, got uh, got it in the right spot you know they really want to make good beer and that's why they're coming back to ask these questions so, so i think this will be a big help for me to be able to tell people you know what the different things and and help diagnose their issues and their problems.
0: But but have pity on your homebrew store owner. Bring him good beer every now and yeah.
1: then. <laughs> every now and then, bring your prize beers. So that, <laughs> that's what we really want to drink.
0: Okay. Well, do you think that's enough to to kind of introduce what we're what we're doing here this evening? I think we so.
3: we've, absolutely.
0: We've got our pitcher, and it's a uh, it's a it's as we say back home. It's a crystal, crystal, crystal pitcher. We we got it when we were married, and I've never used it. So now we're using it for to mix bad beer. So we will mix our first sample of uh, bad beer and uh, or, or bad beer flavors, and and we will be right back. Okay, now we've mixed the first sample. This is metal contamination in coors.
2: Yeah, ooh, boy, the, the nose of this
1: is very metallic. That's amazing <clears throat> well, I would describe it like if you put a penny in your mouth, kind of yeah you know, wash it around a little bit.
3: you'd mm-hmm. have a
1: good idea what this is like.
3: It's definitely a coinage in your mouth uh, it's it's uh, there's a there's a slight blood you know taste to it um, obviously the taste once you let you swallow the beer uh, or first you actually take the drink, let it set in your mouth a little bit, let it warm up. And uh, then swallow and, you know, breathe out your nose. And what happens is those that, those aromas that are pretty volatile go through your, to be scientific here, that uh, epithelium, uh, olfactory epithelium, which is the sensory in your nose that, that uh, detects all these flavors. And uh, you really get a sense of that, that metal contamination. No kidding. Uh, this I've seen it more, honestly, I've seen it more in home brewing than I have professional brewing because... Uh, you know, we, we we tend to have uh, one way to avoid this is to use acid to clean all your stainless steel because it passivates, it replaces chromium, where you get a lot of rust. And uh, I mean, it's it's a little harder harder to come by the good acid. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, well, in the '60s anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it depends on what kind
0: of uh, nah, part of the country you live in. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. This reminds me of. Uh, this is a flavor that I've experienced a number of times, and it reminds me of being about 19 years old and buying hot beer. You know, really like, I don't want to say a, a label, but a cheap beer that's been sitting on somebody's counter, you know, in the heat for a long time. That's its flavor to me. You know, it's like, mmm, let's have a beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, a long time ago the cans were not lined or, or something because I remember when I was young, uh, old beers that had sat around for a long time would taste this way Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I assume now with the lining on aluminum cans you probably won't get that for a, right. quite a long time
2: absolutely, in fact, and of course I haven't tasted all that much homebrew from around places, but I've never tasted this taste in any homebrew that I've had but I have tasted it in canned beer and you're right, it's been many, many years ago so, yeah you know, I. it
0: doesn't you know, when you guys were tasting it, I noticed, especially Steve, you really winced like it really offended you. I don't know, maybe this I wasn't just knocked over by this flavor, and maybe do pe- Chris do people's taste buds respond differently to different tastes? Or
3: oh, absolutely, to you know, to some this might just taste like a penny, and to others it's like somebody socked you in the mouth. You know, it's mm. definitely blood-like. Um, women have lower lower. Uh, thresholds normally on, on several different flavors than men do. The younger you are, the, the lower your threshold is, the older you get, the uh, less sensitive you are. So everybody's threshold is actually different. Uh, uh, so it's no surprise that anyone in this group would say one tastes a lot worse than, than someone else.
0: Yeah, that, now the, the card that comes with, there are cards that uh, that come with each flavor, and this is one from uh, metal contamination. It defines the problem What you can do with the batch of beer, how you can prevent it from happening again, and uh, other stuff is the category. (laughs) Uh, This problem, if your beer tastes like this, it's been tainted by contact with poor quality metallic brewing equipment. Most commonly, such flavors are caused by ferrous ions uh, from iron or steel. Uh, However, occasionally other metal ions or even non-metallic flavor substances are involved. Uh, what can you do with a batch? It may be possible to mask the flavor by adding some other strong flavor to the beer. Consider making a fruit beer from this batch by adding a commercial fruit essence. Or if the flavor intensity isn't too strong, try, try blending it with another beer that doesn't have the problem. And then, uh, obviously, how do you avoid uh, preventing this from happening again? Avoid using poor quality equipment, equi- especially equipment made from mild steel. Uh, Problems like this can also occasionally happen with equipment of sound quality when it's new. So, uh, new. We talked to John Palmer about using uh, aluminum brew pots, and he said he advises if you're going to use an aluminum brew pot to boil water in it first to get kind of a film built up over the metal. Uh, Otherwise, the first time you use it, you might taste some metallic uh, off flavors. So,. Uh, and under other stuff, the flavor in this beer is ferrous ion, a tinny, blood-like character. Uh, so it says, as, aside from having a distinctive flavor, ferrous ions affect the beer in other ways. They will make your beer foam more stable, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm.
2: That <laughs> <Just
0: like this. laughs> Man, that's a pretty beer. <laughs> that's a pretty beer, but, you know, it doesn't taste so good. But they will also speed up the development of haze and oxidation flavors, so... So there we go. Any any other comments about metal contamination?
3: I'd like to say, though, uh, for the listeners who are homebrewers, brewers, um, if you do have, obviously, a pot to, you know, or some of your valves that you might use are rusted, it's probably just best that you go ahead and replace them. But uh, if you do want to go out and you want to buy the acid, actually passivate the stainless with uh, Make sure it's a nitric acid blend. It's the nitric acid that does the passivation, not, not phosphoric. And is, and
0: is that something that... Uh, is nitric acid? Is it dangerous to use? You got to watch uh, out for it. Absolutely,
3: you need to uh, follow all the instructions, all the safety instructions that are included with it. All the all the uh, personal protective equipment, gloves, goggles. Uh, naturally, it is an acid and, and it can burn you.
0: Very good. All right. Well, we will rinse. And we will maybe eat a pre- piece of bread. <laughs> have a good beer. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, if we have a good beer between each of these, <laughs> it's going to be a long evening.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, we will we will uh, get set up and we'll move to the uh, next flavor. Okay, we're back, and uh, I've instructed them not to not to smell their beers yet, uh, because uh, this this next one is um, spoilage by acetic acid. Bacteria. Okay, everybody, pick up your glasses. And...
1: I'm not really perceiving much aroma. I'm not either. It actually smells
2: a little sweet to mm-hmm. me.
1: I'm actually taste
0: or I'm, I'm picking up some um, <clears throat> some of the um, the smells almost like it's um, you know some of the wild beers, some of the sour beers in the in the nose a little bit. In fact, a lot, and I can't say that it's unpleasant, really. Hmm. It's it's more. Is it more subtle than the first one?
1: It definitely seems to be to me. Uh, maybe I don't know. It seems a little sour. Kind of uh, I don't know. Kind of a weird effect on my tongue, but I don't know really if I can describe what's different about it nor what makes it special
3: I think this if, if you don't mind me saying so is, is an opportunity where I think it would be beneficial for us all because we all perceive this as, as pretty low in our terms of thresholds
2: mm-hmm.
3: why don't we just taste a course
2: <laughs>
3: a regular course and then taste that immediately and then I think it'll jump out to all of us that, didn't.
0: that that's, that's a good idea problem. we got to set a, ba- a baseline um, but it,
3: it, right now it tastes like a bad course mm, Steve do you want to a- Mm-hmm. We'll
0: use our our water glasses
3: for some good beer? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's, uh, we're gonna dump our uh, dump our waters in the uh, dump bucket uh, and Steve is gonna you know that's a good that's a good idea, Chris. We should we probably should have done that to begin with. Uh, drink some of the cores untainted to see what it tastes like, and then then we can we can go back to the the uh, tainted stuff. Tainted stuff. (laughs) I thought you poured out my water. Oh, no, wait, this is... (laughs) I'm sorry.
1: Cheap shot. Cheap shot. It's definitely much different, more different, or the difference is more perceivable now, but I still am having trouble describing it. Yeah.
2: The, The difference that I feel is in mouthfeel more. And I don't know if that's the powder or if that's, I don't, I don't know what's causing that, but it's kind of like the beer with the off flavor in it tastes is flatter and it tastes more watery that the, the Coors that's the, the good Coors is crisper and brighter in my mouth. And this stuff just tastes like it's kind of old
1: to me. It seems and, a little, a little, uh, oh I don't know, like a little more sour, um, kind of, tingles on, around the edge of my tongue or in the bottom of my mouth a little bit, um, like you do when you eat a sour candy. But it's, I still don't... I can't put my tongue or my... You know, say what it is that I think it tastes like.
0: Well, sh- shall we read the card? Sure. The card says, The flavor in this beer is acetic acid, a vinegar-like flavor. Mm-hmm. So does
1: that, does that help you? Yeah. Um, but I still... It doesn't taste like vinegar. That's I, I don't taste vinegar in this. I just it tastes a little sour, which some beers are meant to taste sour. So I guess you you could always make this put this in the sour category. If, you, if this is the problem with your beer, you can just claim it's a crazy Belgian or <laughs> that's right. that's
2: it's that's
1: a right. wild American ale.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, well, smell
0: the beer and and think of uh, dying Easter eggs
2: with I those. Know. Oh yeah. yeah, that's great, James.
1: Yeah, does,
2: that's, 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 that's,
1: that's, a, that's, that's that what that it smells a like. a smell, too, mm-hmm. Yeah, that I remember from a, being a kid. Yeah,
0: it's like dying Easter eggs with those things where you put the vinegar and you put the little caps, the little tablets in there.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, I'd also say that, uh, you know, when you and Andy went out to the, uh, the brew event in Denver, and we then got some La Folle, as mm-hmm. they pronounce it, mm-hmm. and that had that. Very strong sour taste and very strong. I, I called it sauerkraut in, in the mm-hmm. nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has that, but the La Folie was really good. And this is just <laughs> kind <laughs> of flat and not really happening. So when you do it on purpose and you do it skillfully, you know, that's when you have something that's worth putting in a champagne bottle.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it says the problem on the card. If your beer tastes like this, it's been spoiled by acetic acid bacteria. These could either be Acetobacter species or Gluconobacter species. Did I pronounce that right, Chris? Close
3: enough. Close enough. <laughs> uh,
0: what can I do with a batch? Destroy it. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> hey, <laughs> There's little you can do to improve its flavor, and while you have it around, you risk spreading the problem to your other beers. Yes. However, if you're feeling adventurous, you could always make vinegar from it. <laughs> so, And then how do I prevent this from happening again? Uh, There are two main contributors to this problem, dirty equipment and exposure of beer to air. The first is relatively easy to deal with. Sterilize all your equipment before use either with chemicals or with heat. The second can be addressed by maintaining a blanket of CO2 on the beer at all times during and after fermentation. Avoid splashing of beer during transfers from one vessel to another. Finally, make sure the headspace on bottled beer isn't too big. So... Uh, it says sometimes under other stuff also, it says sometimes beers which have been spoiled by acetic acid bacteria turn hazy or cloudy. This is partly due to the presence of many tiny bacterial cells and partly due to the preparation of precipitation of protein in the beer as a result of a reduction in beer pH value. So, Chris,
3: thoughts? Uh, sounds true to me. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't made a beer that tastes like this yet. So. <laughs>
1: I think it was interesting how the uh, the change in pH of the beer made gave you a mouthfeel effect. Mm-hmm. You know, there was not more malt or less malt, but you had this definite feeling, different feeling about it, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of weird. It's, maybe you wouldn't think that would be there, but it definitely feels different in your mouth. Mm.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, and and as the as the samples warm up, the um, more the f- the flavor is more pronounced.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um, accurate, uh, accurate perception there, James. I just when you're saying that, I thought, well, it's time to test it again. And I swirled it around and looked at the head clinging to the side of the glass and stuck my nose in the glass and smelled and made a really bad face—the bitter beer face. <laughs> the beer
0: face, the sour beer face, or the acetic acid uh, uh, face.
3: Yes, I think the regular course never tasted better. So. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I think, I think, I'm not thinking, I'm not going to finish that one. <laughs> no, I think the, uh, I think we're going to rinse these out. And, uh, but again, it wasn't, I was expecting to be knocked over by these samples, by, vinegar. By, by, you know, the, the iron and the, and the vinegar. And, mm-hmm. but they've really, maybe they have done a good job of being subtle mm-hmm. with these off flavors so that it's not just pounding you in the face. You really have to look for it, and you really have to... Because, I mean, when you get off flavors, they're not going to always be right up there up front, right, Chris? Sure.
3: Sure. I mean, uh, it, it's it's this is really close to reality. I mean, when are you really going to drink a beer that just flat-out tastes like blood or, or the, you know, the, the ferious ion or really tastes like vinegar unless you've let it set forever and it's turned into vinegar. Um, really, these, an off-flavor in your beer is going to be something that's really low on the flavor thresholds. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and like I said before, so everybody tastes a little bit differently, and so it might be pleasant to some people, uh, to have a small amount of, of what others would consider an off flavor. And then to others, you know, it's just absolutely repulsive. But uh, it, it, I think uh, this kid has done a very good job of introducing the flavor at a uh, at a nice threshold level. Um, still, like before with the it was very strong. Um, that one was, was pretty high. I don't, I don't think we would make a beer that would be that high. So it, it would take some dilution. But it definitely introduces you to the flavor and shows you, how to look behind the typical flavors in your beer, and in order to, you know, to identify these flavors. Now,
0: I'll, I'll give you a homebrew of
1: mine that I call Rusty Bucket
3: later on. You know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think they need to include the suggestion about the the, the side beer in the instructions because it's it, clearly it's the, pretty much the only way to do this is to be able to taste one against the other, especially when you're getting uh, a little more of a less of a, a, a less powerful sample. Because this one just didn't taste near as strong as the last one. Uh, of
0: course, we, we looked at the instructions that had the pictures and followed that. But but the step one and the actual written instructions that I just dug out from the kit, <laughs> it says, become familiar with the aroma and taste of the regular beer. <laughs> if all else fails, read the instructions. So Okay, well, now maybe we'll go over the instructions again before we go to the next sample, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we will uh, pause again and go on to the next. Welcome to round three. And uh, shall I say what this is before we taste it? Shall I, shall I say what it is? Uh-huh. This is uh, bacterial growth in the mash.
1: Ooh. Maybe we don't want to do this one. <laughs> yeah. oh,
0: you, you've signed on, Andy.
2: You're in for the long haul. Do you,
1: do you have sufficient insurance in case there's a
2: problem, James? <laughs> later on. Well. Uh. Okay.
0: I've had about enough of that.
2: <laughs> you know.
0: Boy. I've smelled that in the back of my car Yeah, it
3: uh, reminds me of a day Here at the Hog House when uh, I started it I got there early, I wanted to get get the day over with I was brewing that day I thought, you know, I'll go in early So I got there at 6 Started brewing, everything's going great Got my mash, and I was bringing it up to temperature And uh, my kettle went out on me The burner just completely quit We had a problem with our uh, pilot light Just went out so the repair guy, uh, the repair man, uh, couldn't arrive until late that afternoon. He got there, couldn't repair it. So it's like, well, you know, what the heck? I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna let it set overnight, see what it smells like in the morning, just for fun. I wanted to, you know, see what the uh, soured mash really, really smelled like because I never attempted it before. And That's exactly what it smelled like the next day when I came. In. <laughs>
0: so needless to say, you were shoveling it out of the, uh, uh, out of the, the kettle.
3: Yes, needless to say, it all went down the
0: drain. <laughs> oh, as that warms up, it smells more and that more. That
2: is one of the worst things I have ever tasted in my life. <laughs> and and i eat eaten army food. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> oh, I'm Well, done. actually, you know, most home brewers may have had a chance to experience a smell. Um, whether you used, uh, like, specialty grains or if you're an all-grain brewer, you've dumped your mash out somewhere, mm-hmm. like a compost pile, and gone back a week or two later and it smells really ripe if you kick it over and this is what this smells like <clears throat> just rotting grain kind of mm-hmm.
3: yeah yeah it's definitely we uh sell we so we give all of our malt away after we use it all the spent grain and uh there's not much left in it a little bit of vitamin that's about it uh we give it to the cows and uh it's that's definitely those grain buckets that we shovel all our, all our grain into that's that's a good smell <laughs> <Boys>. <laughs>
0: Well, the, the aroma hits me more than the, than the flavor, and uh, it, it reminds me, <clears throat> I was on my way, uh, I was on an airplane, and there was a kid behind me, in the seat you know, behind me, and it was a business trip, and on, on the way in, or all the way, the kid was happy and jumping and you know playing around, and I noticed that the kid became very quiet on the uh, landing approach, and then I started smelling this. Coming up from the from behind me, and uh, under other stuff on the bacterial growth in the mash, we have the flavors in this beer are uh, butyric acid. Is that right? That is correct. A flavor reminiscent of baby vomit. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) And our old friend acetic acid, the vinegar vinegar vinegar-like character.
1: No, it does taste a little bit sour. So. uh... I don't know. It's a, it's pretty unpleasant.
0: I mean, I've, I've I've dealt with baby vomit, but I've never tasted it, so I'll have to take their word on that. But uh, uh,
3: again, this is something that you know it would it would be uh, in your mash, and again, the mash is obviously aerobic. There's it's always exposed exposed to oxygen, um, and so you have a ton of bacteria that could actually go into just leaving your mash sitting around. There's if you plated it, you know, as, as we would say in, in the industry, if you plated it and you take a look at it, then it's, you know, too numerous to count because there's way too much bacteria. Just, you know, in the, in the grain itself, it's been sitting in silos, it's never been sanitized or anything, so uh, there's a wide range of bacteria that would show up if you were to leave, leave your mash sitting around.
0: And, and you would have to leave it for quite a while to get this level of contamination, wouldn't you? Um,
3: actually, there's uh, some really great Belgium beers out there that are made through a process of sour mashing. Um, you know, it's been a process that was around before they knew better, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, they, they do develop some pretty good uh, sour mashed beers, and uh, there's a few microbreweries in the U.S. that do it, and they they'll let it set. You know, somewhere between you know five hours. Or, or a little bit more, they might go overnight. Uh, but it, it's pretty much a minimum of five hours, and then you can start to really taste that soured mash finish into the beer. What happens is, is the bacteria obviously is no longer alive after you boil it. You know, It dies and excretes all of its contents. But uh, the, the effect of that bacteria, those, those chemicals that it's released, is still in the beer, and it's going to stay in the beer.
0: So if you're mashing and you get called away, you get called into work, Mm-hmm. And you come back to it a few hours later, you might just want to get
3: some more grain,
0: right? Uh, <laughs>
3: change the style that you're aiming for. <laughs> <laughs> you just never, never forget. You're just homebrewing. It. It's, uh, <laughs> it's very plausible just to change the style and <laughs> and go for the baby vomit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, now it says uh, under problem. It says if your beer tastes like this, <clears throat> pardon me. I've got <clears throat> baby vomit. If your beer tastes like this, your mash has suffered bacterial spoilage. The bacteria involved most likely belong to one of two groups, Bacillus or Clostridium. Is that right?
3: I don't know the Clostridium. I'm gonna have to read it.
0: <clears throat> that sounds like something you'd get an ointment for. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what can I do with a the batch? These off flavors are not very flavor active, so you may be able to blend this beer with another beer that is free of off flavors to produce something that is quite acceptable. Try blending one part of your problem beer with three parts of another and see if you can still taste the off flavors. So maybe there's some salvaging involved in there.
2: And I wanted to ask, um, it strikes me that, that these off flavors could be at different levels. In other words, you might have you know, a, a, a 20% bacterial infection problem or an 80% bacterial infection problem. So, in some ways, there might be a a scale thing, and you know, if the off flavor isn't just knocking you over, maybe it's okay. Right?
3: Right. There, there actually is a a flavor wheel that's involved. That's you know, uh, I should point out now that uh, what we're doing here is more of what we would call organoleptic testers. We're just a bunch of guys who like beer that are sitting around drinking the beer. Now the scientific part would be done by a sensory analyst. A sensory analyst has, has received tons of training, receives retraining all the time, and they can, you know, name off the bat a hundred different flavors, and they're able to identify them blindly. Uh, you know, we can now identify baby sick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got that down. But, <laughs> but there, there is a difference, and the flavor wheel is based on on flavor thresholds, and they're just, just the average threshold level at which you would you would notice uh, certain contaminations. And, you know, uh, in any beer, there's, you know, maybe a hundred different flavors. Uh, you, you're not expected, obviously, to even notice all of them. Maybe you'll just notice a few. There are what you, your forefront, the the primary flavors, and then there's secondary and even tertiary flavors that, that come into play. Um, and for instance, like astringency. So very, uh, astringency is, is, is unwanted in a lot of beers, but it might be pleasant in some beers to have that actual effect on your tongue that makes you want to drink a little bit more. It would be obviously a tertiary flavor and not not obviously, you don't want to, oh, this is very astringent, it's my primary flavor in this beer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but absolutely, um, a lot of these com- uh, compounds are desirable, uh, not so much sick, but a lot of them are desirable in some beers. And obviously if you're making that style of beer, it's not an off flavor. It's, it's, it's the flavor you're going for uh, or, or that threshold is, it's what you're going for. If it's not, if you're trying to make the American lager and you end up with the soured mash mashed flavor in your beer, obviously something went wrong and it is considered an off flavor. Very
0: good. <clears throat> well, I can't wait. <clears throat>
3: Pardon me. Well, I can't wait to uh,
0: get some water, <laughs> so uh, I think we'll do that. We will uh, we will get some water and uh, maybe a little bit of good beer and uh, cleanse our palates a little bit. We'll, and we'll go on to the next round. Okay, this is uh, this is round four. Everybody's warming up their samples a little bit, and this is boilage by wild yeasts. And Steve's making a face again already.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Well, if this gets worse when when it gets warmer, it's gonna start to get really bad. I'm afraid. It already's ready to taste it.
3: This is one of those that I would say it tastes like uh, if you're you're adventurous and you're in the the liquor store and you thought, well, I can't really pronounce the name of that beer in the 22 ounce (laughs) cork bottle, but I'll go ahead and buy it, (laughs) 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 and you end up with some random Belgian beer in your shelf.
0: Are, are you not a Belgian fan, Chris?
3: Oh no, I am. I am. I'm a Belgian fan because you never know exactly what's in there. <laughs> but uh, it, it has a uh, it has a, a nice. I mean, there's there's a, there's a, a terrible flavor in there, but there's behind it, there's just mm-hmm. this nice. Uh, it's not quite floral, but it's uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely sense. fruity. It's a little perky. A little, yeah. Little, Sharp fruit in
0: there.
3: Oh, but the aftertaste is what gets me. Yes, yes, yes.
0: It just kind of lays down and takes residence right there.
2: Yeah. You know, I think Groucho Marx had a line in one of his movies that he felt like the... No, it was W.C. Fields. He felt like the Russian army had been walking over his tongue in their stocking feet. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is pretty much... What, left with, what is what left Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, spoilage by Wild Yeasts. Uh, the flavors in this beer are... Four vinyl, help me, Chris, guayacol, (laughs) a clove-like character, and styrene, a plastic-like flavor. (laughs) So if you were drinking your coffee cup instead of uh, drinking out of your coffee cup. If your beer tastes like this, it has been spoiled by wild yeast that belong to the genus Saccharomyces Mm -hmm. or to the genus Britannomyces. And, Andy, you sell these in your store, don't you? Well, yeah, (laughs) because these are uh,
1: are the basic uh, yeast that you can get from White Labs and uh, and Y-yeast that are the Belgian strains. Um, But they are only two of the the, whole bunch of uh, different kinds of yeast that make up the Belgian beers um, and make them so unique. But they are the two predominant ones, and they're the ones they sell.
0: It says, what can I do with a batch? You may be able to blend this beer with another beer that is free of off flavors to produce something that is quite acceptable. Try try blending one part of your problem beer with three parts of another and see if you can still taste the off flavor. Alternately, you can think about making an opportunity out of the problem. You've produced something that's halfway to being a a Weiss beer. Or is it a Weiss beer? No, it's either way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So so why not go the whole way, brew a Weiss beer, and blend it uh, with this one to make something special?
3: I so. think, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it has that pleasant note behind it, and that's exactly what I was thinking of is that clove flavor mm. that I've tasted and then plenty of uh, you know, German wheats or, or uh, Trappist uh, ales. It has that nice little clove note to it. It, it says, uh, <clears throat> basically, clean your stuff.
0: <laughs> mm. And uh, it says, deal with contaminated use by replacing it with a fresh supply from a reputable source, don't try to acid wash it. Acid washing doesn't kill wild yeast, so that's a good that's a good uh, point. It will
3: kill bacteria, sure. right?
0: But it won't kill the, the wild yeast because right. it's a yeast too.
3: Right. And and if you are so brave as and, and you're a homebrewer and you're going to try to acid wash your yeast, uh, you know, be careful because don't expect to be able to make the same beer you made when it was a normal yeast when you bought it from the manufacturer because it. Uh, the acid is actually going to, you know, change the yeast profile, and it's actually going to have a different profile the next time you use it. Ah. So, if and it, as a professional, they always say, if you acid wash your yeast, acid wash it every time. If you don't acid wash your yeast, don't do it. Because mm. it, 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 there goes your consistency. Exactly.
0: Keep the beer covered during fermentation, and avoid putting the fermenter in damp, moldy areas. Mm. Oh, so
3: well, I have that problem. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, this, I mean, this isn't the, you know, I, I went crazy over the wild beers, you know, over the the stuff from like Russian River and, and you know, I think what, Pizza Planet, or Pizza, not Pizza Planet, Pizza Port was yeah, doing Pizza some stuff.
1: Pizza Port had some, some and uh, who was it, uh, Goose Island had a couple too, mm-hmm. um, but they're, then it's a balance, and you have a rich malty character, something to balance this against. Where we're we're drinking against such a light profile, this the core is that it's really way out of character. It's just it's it's unpleasant because it's so up front. So don't let us turn you off of trying to brew with Brett.
2: You
0: uh, know,
1: encourage people
2: to really <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, or in you know, you should be adventurous. Um, and I think on the podcast that you did uh, with Vinny, they talked about the fact that they they do things in different balances, so they might add only a very little bit of this yeast, and they do it at, in, like, the secondary fermentation so that it, it it doesn't have as much sugar to work with, so you don't pick up as much of the flavor, um, you know, because it is, what you want is a subtle touch of this, not, you know, overpowering, unless that's, I guess, what you're going for.
3: Yeah, they're are, there are, adventurous, I think is a good yeah. word for it, because there are some <laughs> adventurous brewers out there who have used 100% brett to make their beer. Uh, you know, it's... Again, that's what they were going for, so I wouldn't necessarily call it an off-flavor in their beer. But uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, in course, as we're drinking it tonight, it is a strong off-flavor, and I think uh, it's a good point that this is probably five or six times the threshold of what you would normally find in a regular beer.
0: And also, uh, they were talking about um, the dangers of working with wild yeasts. We went to, Andy and I went to a presentation where, uh, Vinnie uh, Ch- Chilurso from Russian River and uh, the brewer from Allagash and Goose Island were up there talking about Belgian beers. <clears throat> they t- started talking about working with the Brett. And you, in their breweries, they basically have set up a separate brewing system mm-hmm. just to deal with the wild yeast. Oh,
3: sure. sure, yeah. it's uh, If you have more than one strain of yeast in your brewing system... In your brewhouse or in your cellar, as you call it, where all your fermenters are, it's a pain. You always want to try to dedicate the same tank to the same yeast strain because you don't want to leave, you know, a few yeast strain, a few yeast cells behind. They start to multiply in your beer. You're repitching it. Uh, then, you know, I, if I have an ale and I'm making a lager in my brewery, and I switch tanks, then all of a sudden you don't notice it in my first beer that I have a lager yeast in my ale or vice versa. But five or six generations down the road, I'm going to have a wild yeast in my ale because I have my lager yeast contaminating my ale, and uh, in that sense, you know, it's a wild yeast as any any yeast that you don't want in your beer. I think uh, it is hard. You never want to switch your tanks uh, if you if you can. Uh, always use the same line of tanks for the same types of beer, uh, most certainly.
0: And in home brewing, um, would you want to dedicate a certain carboy or a certain fermentation bucket if you use the buckets for um, bread or can you can you get it out of your
3: stuff well let's say if you're really adventurous and you want to go out and you want to use some sort of wooden cask or a jack daniels cask or something to make your beer in and you put bread in it don't expect to ever get the bread out uh, it's it's going to be in there um but if you're using a glass carboy glass is easy to clean it's it's non-porous uh, you can pretty much clean that, that really easily um no threat there. Again, the threat uh, comes from repitching your yeast. If you don't repitch, then you're probably never really going to have a problem with this, with the wild wild yeast in it. But if you're repitching and you're letting that yeast grow, then uh, you know one's going to take over the other, and you'll definitely start to taste it. In that case, uh, go buy some more yeast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so this is maybe one of the you know if you're trying to either save money or just to experiment and to wash your yeast, you know as as I've been trying to do and you start to pick up some funkiness there's no going back right. <laughs> go to the homebrew store go see Andy
1: Support your local homebrew <laughs> store it's really not that expensive <laughs> lots of us buy a new one every batch
0: <laughs> well great well that's that's i think we'll call um, i think we'll call this good for the first round and we will uh, we'll pick this up at a at a later Podcast. We'll we'll do the, the the second round of tasting tonight, uh, but we may want to we may skip a week and, and come back with a, another podcast on this subject. With gentlemen, I I appreciate your your time and your sacrifice. <laughs> Steve is speechless.
2: I'm I'm totally speechless, and I was just trying to think of a pleasant way to thank you for the bad beer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and thanks again to the American Homebrewers Association uh, and Cindy especially. Uh, for uh, helping us out with uh, and supplying us with this, this kit. And and it is, we are tasting some nasty stuff, but the good thing is that hopefully, if we do taste this nasty stuff in our beer in the future and we want to know what we did wrong, hopefully we'll remember back.
2: <laughs> well, well, I can tell you the first uh, several batches I brewed, I would just freak out. I'd taste the first one and go, what's wrong with this? Almost always it was fine. I just didn't know what it was supposed to taste like yet. In fact, I did. I'm one of the guys that brought in some beer to you, like my second or third batch. The first one was fine. The first batch I ever made was a porter; it was great. But like the second batch I brought in, that I tasted, well, it turned out I just tasted it way too early. It was still, it wasn't done at all. But I was freaking out, and so you've been the, uh, you helped me figure that out. And it turned out that the beer was great later
0: on I I had a boil over my first batch and all the hops wound up on the stove and I took my beer into Andy you know saying oh my first beer you know and Andy looked at his partner at the time and said you know they both tasted it and Andy looked at his partner he said he knows what he did wrong (laughs) (laughs) well thanks guys and we, we will pick this up later I want to thank Andy Sparks Chris Milam and Steve Wilkes for their help and for being so brave to face such flavors. You can find a link to the Home Brewery and the Hog House Brewing Company on basicbrewingradio.com. You can also find a link to the page in the American Home Brewers Association site that features the Flavor Active Kit. And thanks once again, much thanks once again to the American Home Brewers Association for their help. Well, next week I'm planning on having David Myers from Redstone Meadery to talk about mead in general and the International Mead Festival in specifically, uh, that's coming up on February 10th and 11th in Boulder, Colorado. For information on the festival, you can go to meadfest.com. And if you have brewing questions, show suggestions, or just want to say hey, write to james at basicbrewing.com or just fill out the contact form on basicbrewing.com. And please don't forget to tell us where you're from. And if you're wanting to get into home brewing, while, I, while you're on our site, you can check out our DVD, Basic Brewing, Introduction to Extract Home Brewing. We'll walk you through the process step by step. And you can see a listing of the fine folks across the country who sell our DVD, and if there isn't a vendor in your area, you can order it from us directly online. And don't forget about our all-grain DVD at basicbrewing.com slash grain. Well, that's all until next week. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm James Spencer, production help for Basic Brewing Radio and our website, is provided by Kelly Dodson. Basic Brewing Radio is a production of Active Voicing. We'll talk to you next
2: time. So long.